Microsoft recently announced a competitor for the team management and collaboration service, Slack. We'll give you the details, including Slack's response to the software giant's new rivalry. Some really interesting details there you won't want to miss. Also, you may be familiar with the old debate between having a website, an app, or both for your platform or service. Today, we'll dive into an interesting study on the topic to find that things may be shifting in a direction you might not expect. All this and more on The Rightly Designed Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is The Rightly Designed Show. So Microsoft has announced that they're coming out with a new service or product or whatever you want to call it, software, Uh, That's called Microsoft Teams, and a lot of people are saying that it's strikingly similar to a service out there called Slack. So if you've never heard of Slack before, Slack is a service that has kind of reinvented the way that teams collaborate. I use it myself for a number of different uh, mediums and a number of different people that I work with. And Slack just makes it really simple for teams to connect. So they've got different channels where you can connect on specific topics. You can do audio calls. You can go video calls. You can, you've just got a ton of different ways to jump in there and make it really easy for teams to collaborate. You know, before a lot of teams would either A, have to create their own system, you know, something that they developed themselves for internal communication or use other solutions that weren't nearly as easy to work with. Or you'd have to do everything by email. And if you've ever been in these type of situations before, it can be quite the headache. It's a situation where, you know, you every single time you want to start a new conversation, you have to hit reply all or you hit you forget to hit reply all. And it's just a mass of emails that are just flying in every sorts, you know, every sort of different direction. So Slack kind of has reinvented the way that teams collaborate. Well, needless to say, Microsoft has decided to create their own Slack type program And here's a quick clip that uh, tells you a little bit. This is actually from Microsoft. So this is a Microsoft ad spot that actually tells you a little bit about uh, what Microsoft Teams is supposed to be all about. So here's that. We've seen the impact teamwork has had on our world. But what if teams could achieve even more? To truly do great work, we need people that have different experiences and understand the world from a different perspective. The thing that's challenging is to make sure that there's a platform for that collaboration. Teams are very liquid. We need to keep up with the way our people like to work. What if people from different cultures and generations could come together in a more purposeful way, so ideas flow freely and evolve organically? Just imagine what we could achieve. Introducing Microsoft Teams in Office 365. Microsoft Teams is helping us accelerate and win on Sundays. Now we can share common ideas, common goals. I'm excited about the ability for people to be engaged in multiple teams and making it very easy for them to not have to go to 15 different places. Microsoft Teams is a chat-based workspace that gives people one place to connect and create in inherently human ways. You have that constant thread of communication that you can go back in history and see. It's all right there in a single interface. Accenture is nearly 400,000 people across 120 countries. To be able to engage and collaborate this way is a big game changer for us. A way that builds trust, 
and helps create a natural rhythm so ideas flow freely and evolve organically. There's a lot of communication, there's a lot of data sharing. We're all sort of working towards the same end goal and that's to build a car that goes out on the racetrack to win. It's all happening real time in a very frictionless way. That's the way people expect to work these days. Because it's part of the Office 365 set of collaboration tools, it's part of what we already do. It's the central hub where the conversations happen. It opens possibilities for connection and collaboration that we never thought was possible before. Okay, so that gives you a quick idea of how Microsoft is kind of portraying this new Microsoft Teams. But the bottom line of it is it's very similar to Slack in a number of different ways. There's an article in the Next Web that actually touched on this. And it says, at an event in New York today, Microsoft announced Microsoft Teams, its Slack competitor, following months of rumors and speculation. CEO Satya Nadella described it as chat-based workspace, meant to, re uh, meant to unite teams for both casual conversation and productive collaboration. The app will bring together Office apps, Notes, Power by, um, Skype, and all uh, and more, all in one, place of, one piece of software that can be used across a variety of devices. It goes on to say there are multiple similarities to Slack at first glance. The various teams are akin to Slack's channels, and they bold up and show a notification count when there's activity in the group. You can send GIFs via Giphy. It has an, it has an integrations analog called connectors, and you ping specific people using an at symbol. So there's a lot of similarities. Again, if you're familiar with Slack, you'd probably know a lot of these, uh, a lot of these things that, are, that have been kind of defined in Slack. Uh, so there's a lot of different similarities there and, you know, a lot of different, you know, there's been a lot of different feedback and reactions. Uh, Slack has kind of been on its own, so to speak. They've kind of created a new category of communication for teams. As I touched on a little bit earlier, they've kind of redefined what a lot of offices and a lot of smaller teams do in, in terms of email change, chains and that sort of thing. Uh, so they actually decided to do something pretty interesting uh, and that was to to respond to Microsoft creating this new app, which is quite uh, unique. And there's a lot that you can kind of take away from it. So I'm just going to go through and, and read the response real quick. And again, I think you'll notice a, a lot of really interesting things that you can take away from Slack uh, and their response to Microsoft. So this piece that they wrote is called Dear Microsoft. And it says, wow, big news. Congratulations on today's announcements. We're genuinely excited to have some competition. We realized a few years ago that the value of switching to Slack was so obvious and the advantages so overwhelming that every business would be using Slack or, quote, something just like it within the decade. It's validating to see you've come around to the same way of thinking. And even though, just being honest here, it's a little scary, we know it will bring a better future forward faster. However, all this is harder than it looks. So as you set out to build something, quote, just like it, we want to give you some friendly advice. First, and most importantly, it's not the features that matter. You're not going to create something people really love by making a big list of Slack's features and simply checking those boxes. The revolution that has, been, that has led to millions of people flocking to Slack has been, and continues to be, driven by something much deeper. Building a product that allows for significant improvements in how people communicate requires a degree of thoughtfulness and craftsmanship that is not common in the development of enterprise software. How far you will go in helping companies truly transform to take advantage of this shift in working is even more important than the individual software features you are now duplicating. 
Communication is hard, yet it is the most fundamental thing we as human beings do. We've spent tens of thousands of hours talking to customers and adapting Slack to find the grooves that match all those human quirks. The internal transparency and sense of shared purpose that Slack using teams discover is not an accident. Tiny details make big differences. Second, an open platform is essential. Communication is just one part of what humans do on the job. The modern, knowledge worker rely, the, the modern knowledge worker relies on dozens of different products for their daily work, and that number is constantly expanding. These critical business processes and workflows demand on the best tools regardless of vendor. That's why we work so hard to find elegant and creative ways to weave third-party software workflows right into Slack. And that's why there are 750 apps in the Slack app directory for everything from marketing automation to customer support and analytics, to project management, CRM, and developer tools. Together with the thousands of applications developed by customers, more than 6 million apps have been installed on Slack teams so far. We are deeply committed to making our customers' experience of their existing tools even better, no matter who makes them. We know that playing nice with others isn't exactly your MO, but if you can't offer people an, an open platform that brings everything together into one place and makes their lives dramatically simpler, it's just not going to work. Third, you've got to do this with love. You'll need to make a radically different approach to, support, to supporting and partnering with customers to help them adjust to new and better ways of working. When we push a same-day fix in response to a customer's tweet, agonize over the best way to slip some humor into our release notes, run design sprints with other software vendors to ensure our products work, work together seamlessly, or achieve a 100-minute average turnaround time for a thoughtful human response to each support inquiry, that's not going above and beyond. It's not us being clever. That's how we do. That's who we are. We love our work, and when we say our mission is to make people's working lives simpler, more pleasant, and more productive, we're not simply mouthing the words. If you want customers to switch to your product, you're going to have to match our commitment to their success and take the same amount of delight in their happiness. One final point. Slack is here to stay. We are where work happens for millions of people around the world. You can see Slack at work in nearly every newsroom and every technology company across the country. Slack powers the businesses of architects and filmmakers and construction material manufacturers and lawyers and creative agencies and research labs. It's the only tool preferred by both late-night comedy writers and risk and compliance officers. It is, in, it is in some of the world's largest enterprises as well as tens of thousands of businesses on the main streets of towns and cities all over the planet. And we're just getting started. So welcome, Microsoft, to the revolution. We're glad you're going to be helping us define this new product category. We admire many of your achievements and know you'll be a worthy competitor. We're sure you're going to come up with a couple of new ideas on your own, too. And we'll be right there, ready. Your friends at Slack. So as you can see, there's a lot to take away from there. This actually has three main things, which, which makes this really smart. Uh, and from Slack's perspective. So as always, we can always uh, take a look at this from a branding perspective. Number one, what Slack just did here uh, with this article that they wrote up was they pretty much outlined 
their brand. They outlined what made them makes them unique as a company, their commitment to quality. You'll notice there that I kind of emphasized the word craftsmanship. And while that doesn't necessarily fit into every brand model, that's for me personally, that's something I've I've interwoven and I have highlighted time again in my own branding messaging to make clear that that's what makes my personal services, my design and development services uh, a notch beyond, you know, the quote unquote fast food design out there today, craftsmanship, a, a commitment to quality, a personalized support. That's really what they're emphasizing here in the way that they run their company. So what they're doing is they are they're they're conveying their brand, their message, how they conduct they conduct themselves in their business and what makes them so unique. They go far beyond the product itself. You notice how they went on and they said, you can replicate all the features of Slack and still fail because it's the heart, it's the deeper element of how Slack is run that makes it so unique and that has made it so successful. So number one, they outlined their brand. They made that very clear. They solidified that for everybody reading it, whether you're a customer or not. Number two, they took some thinly veiled swipes at Microsoft throughout. You might have heard those, you know, the different... Uh, things that they, you know, they were polite about how they did it. They didn't do it in a totally vindictive way, but there were some jabs that you could tell throughout. Even one of the last sentences is, we're sure you're going to come up with a couple of new ideas on your own too. So as if to insinuate, yeah, nice job for basically copying or stealing our idea, which is in essence kind of what they're doing, which is kind of what's a little annoying about, you know, having big, gigantic corporations out there that just watch smaller companies you know, rise up with new ideas and then kind of try to quash them. But I think with Slack, you have an instance where they, that's why this, this makes such a big difference with them coming at this from a branding perspective and really solidifying in the eyes of everybody reading what makes them so unique and what makes them different. So number three, I mentioned there were three things beyond, you know, taking a thinly veiled swipe at Microsoft and establishing their brand. They sold their product. They gave, in essence, uh, they gave a number of different, almost, you, you might almost say case studies. They said, you know, all the different people who are using it, the millions of different software and, uh, you know, millions of different installations of the third-party plugins and software that integrate within Slack. So they're listing out all the features. They're giving case studies. This thing is one huge sales pitch. Now, it's not a salesy sales pitch, but that's what it is in essence. So they accomplished three things with this one article that got shared fairly virally across the internet. Uh, so they got to do three things. Number one, they got to establish their brand to solidify it and clarify it to those who would read it. Number two, they got to take a swipe at their competition with a smile on their face. And number three, they got to, in essence, sell their product. So a very smart move. And you see, it's just a very creative, nimble, lightweight way to respond to something that in most circumstances could be fairly worrying or even detrimental. And that's a new competitor. And not just any new competitor, but a competition from a software giant. So again, lots to learn from there. If you'd like to take a look over this and, and read about it again, which I recommend, they just actually wrote this up. It's just on their website. Um, but if you just go to rightlydesignedshow.com slash 32, I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. So again, lots to learn from there. Very interesting read. And, uh, you can definitely see just how newer, more lighter weight, more nimble companies are starting to respond and, you know, respond to, you know, different situations in terms of their competition and, you know, changes in the market, but how people are building their brand. So this this definitely does not come across as a corporate 
uh, sales pitch. This comes across as somewhat humorous and, uh, you know, outside the box way of dealing with what otherwise could be, you know, an issue for, for most companies. So very interesting to read through. Today's main topic, though, that I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about was whether or not you should choose between doing a website, an app, or both. So this has kind of been a long-standing debate. You know, most people don't make the argument that you should completely skip a website. You know, most people are like, okay, well, you got a website. Should I also do the app? Now, there's a few people out there who have said, well, yeah, you could just do the app. You know, you could just develop an app, like if you were something like Uber. You could say, well, the app is everything. The app is, I don't need a website. And you might argue, well, yeah, you still need the website. You still need the place to hold press releases or whatever other avenues of promotion you might have. And I'm going to guess, I haven't been there myself, but I'm going to guess Uber has a website. So the argument is basic. The, the main crux of the argument has been, okay, I've got a website. Should I do an app as well? Should I, you know, create redundant content? Should I duplicate some of the content on my website or even some of the functionality features and things that I want to, you know, offer to my customers or to my clients, should I re- should I create that as well in an app for the for, you know, the Android store, for the Google store or for, you know, the the uh, app store for Apple? Should I duplicate that content, that information or that functionality? And a lot of people, the argument has been, yes, you should do that because it's another stream. It's another avenue through which you can gain new people, you know, to your business or to your platform or to your brand. So we'll dive into an interesting study that breaks that down uh, here shortly. But before I do that, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor this episode, and that is ConvertKit. So if you don't already, uh, there's probably a good chance you're going to want to begin the process of building an email list. Email list uh, is essential to anybody building a platform, a brand, or a business. So if when it comes to Twitter, if Twitter were to shut down tomorrow, you would lose all of your followers. If Facebook were to close its doors next week, you would lose all of your fans. But your email list is something that you own. It's something that you control and that you can do whatever you want with. Not to mention the fact that engagement on an email, you know, is much higher than it is on a tweet or a Facebook post. Just about everybody has email and just about everybody checks email daily. So I've had the opportunity to work with uh, countless numbers of email service providers, and I've been frustrated with many of them. And so I've decided to go with ConvertKit. I found that ConvertKit makes uh, managing subscribers super easy. So there's a ton of features I could break down. I could probably spend an entire episode of all the different features and functionality of ConvertKit. And I actually did touch on it uh, briefly on a, a previous episode. But one of the best things about ConvertKit that makes it shine above all the other email service providers out there is the way that it manages subscribers. I've used tons of different, even some really expensive uh, and bulky and feature-packed email service providers that make it a total hassle to manage subscribers. You have, like, for example, three different forms, one for a webinar, one for your email newsletter, and one for an opt-in for just a freebie you want to give out. If somebody were to subscribe to all three of those lists, they would show up duplicated or triplicated, you know, three different times they would show up in your list. And so anytime you wanted to send out a blast to everyone, you know, a, a campaign to all of your subscribers, you have to run the risk of emailing multiple people multiple times. 
Not to mention the fact if they charge you by the subscriber, you're going to pay for all those duplicates, so on and so forth. Well, ConvertKit allows you to segment your lists, but they also enable you to tag all of your subscribers. So if somebody, you know, decides to download your opt-in, fill out a form and download your opt-in, you can tag them with that specific opt-in. Or if they sign up for your webinar, you can tag them with that specific webinar. Then you can go in and create campaigns, automations, and workflows that only target those specific tagged subscribers. So it makes the organization, the structuring, and automation super easy and something that has totally changed the way that I personally have worked with email. So you're definitely going to want to check that out. If you just want some more information about ConvertKit, you can just go to ConvertKit.com and read about it. they got some videos on there, some interesting tips and tutorials and everything else on there. But if you'd like to uh, try ConvertKit out, ConvertKit is actually offering the listeners of The Rightly Designed Show a free 30-day trial. So this is, uh, you know, only through this link will you be able to get this 30-day free trial. So if you'd like to give it a shot, uh, you can go to rightlydesigned.com slash convertkit, and you can jump in there, upload your email list. You can even send out a few campaigns, try some of the automations out, see if it's for you. I think you'll be pretty impressed with how powerful it can make your email marketing workflow. So again, that's rightlydesigned.com slash convertkit for your 30-day free trial. Again, that's rightlydesigned.com dot com slash convert kit. With a ton of WordPress themes on the market, finding one to help you accomplish your goals can be a bear. Notable Themes takes a new approach by offering niche-specific themes and plugins. From building your email list to gaining more followers and boosting sales, every theme is crafted to help you strategically grow your audience so you can spend more time on what you do best. Best of all, themes are super easy to set up and are accompanied with a step-by-step video tutorial. It's time to get a site that does more than just look pretty. Hey, that's Notable Themes. Design. Branding. Marketing. WordPress. Helping you build a better brand through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show. Okay, so the main thing I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about today was deciding whether or not we should have a website and an app for growing our brand, our platform, or our business. So this, as I mentioned before the break, is something that has been brought up. It's kind of been debated for years, and there's still a little bit of a resounding Uh, argument that's been being made that yes, you should definitely have an app in most circumstances because it's going to help you sort of ensure that you uh, reach uh, as many audiences as possible. So there's an article in a on a site called Insight Intercom. And again, I'll list uh, a link to this in the show notes if you'd like to read it uh, in full. But it says a common refrain in discussions over the future of mobile is that eventually all mobile apps will be iOS or Android apps. But many of these commentators have a vested interest in helping native mobile apps survive. So to pause here real quickly, the difference between a native mobile app and say like a web app would be a native mobile app would be something if you're an iPhone user, you go to Apple's iStore or to uh, Apple's App Store and you would download it. So like, for example, you download Angry Birds or Instagram or something that is a native app. Uh, A mobile app would be something that operates like an app, but within your browser. So uh, 
proceeding with the article. It says proclamations of an all native mobile app world ignore the fact that browsers and the web are fast becoming the mobile operating system of the future and native apps are slowly dying. Native apps are good for some things, but not all things. Native apps are, of course, great at certain things. They're great for frequent, heavy-use tasks like communicating with friends, family, and colleagues, something we do multiple times a day, every day. Apps like Snapchat, uh, WhatsApp, uh, and Facebook Messenger need to access cameras, microphones, and and the OS directly. So it makes sense for these types of apps to be native iOS and Android apps. But is there really a need for any other type of app to be installed natively? The mobile web and browsers of today can easily take care of almost everything we want to accomplish. Let's not forget, native mobile apps were a short-term fix for a short-term connectivity problem. In a 4G Wi-Fi everywhere world, those problems have all but disappeared. For example, companies like Patagonia have already bid farewell to their native app thanks to advances in mobile web capability standards. And they've got a, a tweet here. Uh, which is listing out a a page on this particular company's website. And it says, it's time to say goodbye. Thanks for supporting the Patagonia iPad or iPhone app. Uh, Now that our website is beautiful and easy to use on all mobile web browsers, we will no longer be supporting this app. You may delete it from your device. And then it proceeds to, you can uh, visit their website. And so the article goes on, it says, we spend more time in mobile web browsers than we think. It's not just companies that are turning away from uh, native apps. The average American now downloads zero apps per month. This this has little to do with us spending time on phones. Compare this app fatigue with the amount of time we're spending in browsers. So there's some really interesting numbers as well that kind of break this down. Again, this is is uh, another article that's on a site called Quartz. Uh, But one of the things to take away from this is that app usage in general is starting to decline. As the article kind of touched on, there's some main features that are heavily uh, require, uh, you know, heavily leaning on your device's hardware. You know, again, that's going to be things like taking pictures or location-based services or maps or things that really rely more on the phone's hardware. Uh, That's a lot of times when people are going to be relying more heavily on that specific app. But this, uh, this study they referenced is, is pretty interesting as well. So this is something else to take into account and to keep in mind when it comes to determining whether or not to go the app direction. And it says mobile apps have skyrocketed in popularity. Again, uh, referencing what I mentioned earlier, mobile app is going to be something uh, that has been uh, used for the web. You know, a native app is going to be something that is, you know, on the phone natively, something you get through an app store, and a web app is going to be something that you would get through the web. But they're talking specifically about native apps. They're just calling them mobile apps. So just to kind of clarify for the switching between articles. This is mobile apps have skyrocketed in popularity and utility since Apple introduced the iPhone app store in the summer of 2008. Apps now represent 52% of time spent with digital media in the U.S., time to, uh, according to Comscore, up from 40% in 2013. Apple boasted a 75 billion all-time App Store downloads at its developer conference in June and followed up by declaring July the best month ever for the App Store revenue. They go on. Uh, Yet most U.S. smartphone owners download zero apps in a typical month, according to Comscore's new mobile app report. So this is really interesting to keep in mind. Uh, So people, in terms of downloading new apps... 
So this is the trend to really take into consideration. These numbers are really interesting because you have to be if people are downloading a lot of new apps regularly, then it might make sense for you to consider the option of developing one yourself. But that's just not what's happening. So here's some of the numbers. Uh, right now, uh, U.S. smartphone users number of apps downloaded per month. So there's a chart here, and again, I'll link to this in the show notes. But people who are who are downloading zero apps per month, so nothing, they're not downloading anything new, uh, accounts for 65.5%. People who are downloading one app per month, 8.4%. Two apps per month, 8.9%. Three apps per month, 6.2%. Four apps, uh, 3.7%. I know these are kind of a lot of numbers, and it just kind of drops off from there. So we go from 65.5% of smartphone users are downloading nothing new every month, while only 8.4% or around 8% are downloading one or more. So what that tells you is that you have to keep into account, as this article mentions itself, they've got millions and millions of apps in the App Store, but nobody's downloading anything new. So you have to take into account, okay, so then what is the likelihood that somebody is going to take the time to download an extra app that, uh, that does what the mobile web does natively anyways. So there's a lot of different things to take into account. But with these new numbers and with a lot of the different studies and research that are, that are showing that people just aren't downloading as many apps and just aren't utilizing native apps as much as they are the mobile web, that's when you have to begin to consider which route to take. So there's some, there are some advantages to creating a native app, but only in specific circumstances and situations. What I would argue is that if you are trying to go down the road that has been preached for so long, which is that uh, you should pretty much just duplicate the information on your website, turn it into an app and, and give it for free on the app store in a hope that you'll reach new people. Now there's typically going to be a cost involved with that. There's going to be time involved with that. And you're going to have to maintain at that point in time, two different sets of content and two se uh, separate instances of information, which of course doubles your work. It doubles the cost. It doubles all of those things. So, you know, at that point in time, you know, I would say, yeah, at, especially with the, the trend lines and with the new data that's coming out and with the mobile web becoming as powerful as, as it is, that's not necessarily really the best use of resources. So then the question becomes, okay, so what, at what point in time should I consider an app? So that's not to say, you know, just because a lot of people are using web apps over native apps today, simply because of the functionality of the web is constantly improving. You know, that's not to say that you should never develop an app. So at what point in time, should you actually develop an app? And there is a time and a place for that. And it touched on it in the previous article. That would be when you want to begin utilizing things that are specific to the, to the device. Uh, so, or if it's just something that goes far above and beyond something like a standard, you know, website that's simply responsive. So in uh, a while back, I actually uh, interviewed uh, Mi uh, Mignon Fogarty, and she actually touched on the fact that she developed her own app uh, called Grammar Pop, and it was actually a game. So in that situation, it made total sense. She was developing a game, something that was specifically for that device, for a phone or for a tablet, 
And it was completely different than anything else on the web. She wasn't repurposing content. She wasn't creating a duplicate of something else. She was creating something specifically for that device. And that makes total sense, especially if it's going to be a game or something more interactive like that. Typically, it's going to be something that you can sell. So it's there is kind of a return on investment on that on the development end of it. There's other instances as well. If you want to do something that integrates with the phone or the device's camera, uh, you know, if you want to be able to, uh, you know, any other part of the phone's hardware, even the specific size of its screen or detailing location or proximity or even in the, the orientation of the device, all the things that are specific to that device, in that instance, it may be worth actually having an app developed. But for everything else, if you're just looking to uh, just offer a, another stream of, you know, an avenue through which to connect with new people, there's a ton of other ways that you can do that would, that would be more worth your time. So, for example, uh, rather than writing just blog posts, uh, you could try a podcast. The podcast is a great way to reach more people or even a video podcast. That, that's another way you can reach new people. Uh, you know, guest blogging. There's a ton of different avenues out there that'd be a lot uh, more cost effective, reach more people, and uh, wouldn't require the massive development that goes into building an app. Again, it just kind of depends on what direction you want to go. Are you creating something brand new, something, you know, revolutionary at that point in time? Maybe an app is the way to go. If you're just looking to expand your reach with your current website, your platform, it may make sense just to uh, do it all on the mobile web. Which kind of brings me to my final point, which is that, you know, even if you determine that an app isn't necessarily the best route uh, for you in terms of beginning to reach people on the mobile web, I did an, an episode recently where I talked about the importance of responsive web design and that every website should be able to adapt well to mobile devices. And that may, I mean, that maintains true, you know, all across the board. So while I might, you know, for most cases, an app isn't really necessary because the use and the, the downloads of apps are beginning to drop off more and more. Still, the use of a smartphone or of mobile devices continues to climb. Uh, more and more people continue to use them. I've cited studies and data in the, in the past where I've gone through and I've touched on, you know, it was something in, I think, like 15 to 20 percent of Americans rely solely on their internet connection through a smartphone or a mobile device. So it's really important to keep that in mind and to take that into account with your website and with your web presence. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you uh, jump back and listen to that episode. But it's important to, to consider that uh, the number of people using mobile devices is on the rise, and that is going to be super important as you continue to grow your platform and build your brand. So some of the things to remember when it comes to building that brand and, and making things friendly for mobile devices. Number one, you want to make sure that you're using a responsive theme. So you definitely want to ensure that you're using something and you have tested something that works well across mobile devices. So that's, of course, something I outlined in great detail in the responsive uh, in the responsive web design episode. However, you can take that to the next level as well. So something to keep in mind as well is that uh, part of building an effective responsive web design is to begin incorporating things that otherwise would be done through apps. 
So for example, if you're somebody who has a location-based business, change the orientation when somebody is viewing your website on a mobile device, change the maps, the orientation, the, uh, the clarity of the phone number, things specific to, you know, if it's a brick and mortar shop, making it more useful and user-friendly on a specific smartphone. If somebody is using a tablet, Again, the same thing applies. You want that to be more reader friendly. What do most people use tablets for? A lot of people use it for reading. So a lot of little things like that can make a huge difference when it comes to adapting to the mobile web. As we all well uh, know, the web and uh, devices are constantly changing. So one of the ways that you're gonna be able to stay ahead of the curve a little bit in terms of you know other people in your market or your competitors or whoever that might be is making the user experience for whatever device that person is using the absolute best. That can come down to things as great and as grand as a theme that's well-designed, you know, or as a website as well-designed and as beautiful and works seamlessly, uh, you know, with all these different uh, devices that are out there, or even something as simple as just making sure that the navigation is clean, uncluttered, and you know, well organized so people can get to the information and the content that they're after. You'd be amazed at how big a difference usability can make in today's day and age. You can get information almost anywhere. So, you know, even there's, you know, you can get news just about any place, but you'd be surprised the number of research and studies that have shown that people will actually favor certain news websites or information websites over others simply because it's easier to load and to navigate on a mobile device. So these things can make a huge difference. And I think maybe in a future episode, I'll kind of break down some of the numbers and some of the different mobile webs or, you know, responsive websites out there that do some really effective things to ensure that their website is as useful as possible. Uh, again, so I hope you found this useful, a lot of uh, useful things to consider, you know, from whether, you know, Slack's response to Microsoft or even whether or not you should do a mobile app natively or via the web. So as I've mentioned in previous episodes, if you ever have a question that you'd like to ask for the Rightly Design show, uh, you can feel free to visit rightlydesign.com slash question. And I'm always happy to take a listen. Or uh, you can also submit a written question if you'd like to do that as well. And I'd be happy to take a look and consider it for a full length episode. So again, I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the program today. And we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesign.com show for links to these channels.